0: Wowie, wowie, We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times is that it? with your 2023 WWE Payback Instant Analysis. That's right. Getting over is back once again, and we are here just minutes. After WWE Payback went off the air to break down everything that happened on the company's first premium live event since SummerSlam. Vintage Chris Vanini is here along for the ride. You will hear from him momentarily, but we have an absolute ton to discuss from WWE Payback. And we are kind of just kicking off the weekend because, folks, on Sunday, we're not only going to have your AEW All Out Instant Analysis, we will be discussing the termination of CM Punk. And folks, as Coach Prime Deion Sanders said on Saturday, I kept the receipts. We will talk about all of that on Sunday. Tonight, Saturday night, we are focused on WWE. And as we get into the show, allow me to remind you off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast... is all about defy. So please, folks... Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Fanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Please visit Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple. If you take a little extra time and leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well because for just $5 a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Visit slash getting over. Sign up, you will get bonus audio, you will get news posts, and your financial contributions will support Getting Over. Lastly, I would be remiss if I did not remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. But for weeks like this, you get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls surrounding premium live events and pay-per-views, and we use your votes to help us wrap up our analysis with grades at the end of this podcast. Again, on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. Now, this is an instant analysis edition of Getting Over, and for any first-time listeners on shows like these, we do something a little bit special the Silver King and Vintage. We crack open a cold one, and I'm about to crack open one that I've been holding on to for a long time. This is Key Lime Pie from Prairie Artisan Ales out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Shout out to the Sooner State. Very excited to try this. Chris, what do you have over there tonight?
1: That sounds really good, by the way. I nothing has changed for me since all in last week. It was a busy as hell week for work. I did not get out to the store. <laughs> this is ridiculous. all I have left are the leftover, All I have left are the leftover Mike's hard lemonades uh, that I've had for a bit. And by the way, spoiler alert, it's going to be the same tomorrow for the all out show because you can't buy alcohol in Texas on Sundays. So OK, I'm so sorry.
0: let me tell you this. And I'm sorry to the listener, whoever it was that I forgot. That is false. You can buy alcohol in Texas uh, on Sundays. You just can't buy it in certain stores at certain times, but you can absolutely get alcohol in Texas on Sundays. So, number one, bullshit. Number two, you're drinking Mike's Hard Lemonade like, I don't know, it's 2006 and you're at a high school party or something because you're younger than me. I don't know what what years you went to high school, but that's what it feels like we're doing here. I'm drinking an adult craft beer. You're drinking something that you'd get sophomore year when you're trying to hide from the cops.
1: Well, no, it's it's not like it's certain stores. They changed the law like last year or something like that. It, it's liquor stores, one of them, whatever. Normally, place where I go is is not open. I've tried it before, so all I'm saying look, is maybe, you maybe I'll look drink. for tomorrow. But I got I got I guess I got to figure out what the law was because I've tried before and they're closed. I'm just saying it the general consensus for a while here.
0: I'm just saying we had three years of this podcast. We we were both kind of sharing some unique drinks here when we did these instant analysis, and lately it feels like it's like Mike's Hard Lemonade smearing off ice natty ice i mean that's what it feels like you're bringing to the table here you're not you're not helping educate the like, audience into blame, what's blame conference realignment for destroying both of our last months. true by the uh, way you're in texas you can get shiner just like go to shiner and get like a ton of shiner beer it's easy what do you mean go to shiner the where's the brewery like, is it by the, you the city no like the wherever city, the brewery is shiner there. texas is that where it is uh i don't. I don't know. Oh. I don't know the brewery. Whatever. The, I know for a fact the beer is all over the state. What I'm saying is just go buy some Shiner and bring that to the show. Bring something to the table here, Chris, yeah. besides your analysis.
1: Yeah, it's in Shiner, it's in Texas.
0: Okay, well, maybe or don't go to the brewery, but is. buy it in the stores. That's what I'm trying to get at. Anyway, folks, we're just trying to have some fun off the top. Let us get into our WWE Payback Instant Analysis. We do have an absolute ton to talk about on this show. As we get into this show, Let's kind of start it off like this. We'll get into all the match breakdowns, you know, with our grades for the matches, our thoughts, analysis going forward. We left off our ultimate preview, basically stating, hey, you know what? WWE, this is this is a B show. It's not even close to SummerSlam. It's not even close to some of the other B show builds that they've given us. And just like I theorized at the end of that ultimate preview, it shows like this, Chris, where WWE just... Under Triple H especially, but really for the last couple of years, they just kind of knock it out of the park and surprise the pants off you. So we'll get into our grades later, our final grades, but I just got to tell you, for a Saturday night where we had, both of us have work responsibilities, we're busy, it's very difficult to put our full attention on a premium live event on Saturday during college football season, I was immensely pleased with what we got from Pittsburgh on Saturday night. Yeah, look,
1: Nick Khan, we are still not happy with you for moving these fall pay-per-views to Saturday because we have a lot to do with our college football job. So, yeah, don't do that. I don't like it. Um, yeah, it, it was a good show. I liked it. Um, I think you liked it a lot more than me. Maybe that's because I was watching four football games at the same time. But uh, no good show for sure. And we'll get into it. But yeah, nothing, nothing on the show was bad, so. Looking forward to talking about it.
0: Do you think that perhaps I paid more attention than you? Probably. Okay. Let's go ahead and get into I, it.
1: it it's, been a, it's been a long ass day. It so ha- probably.
0: You're talking to someone who, no joke, had to spend nearly $2,000 on getting his air conditioner repaired because it died at 3.30 a.m. Okay. So you want to talk about long days? You and I, sir, are both dealing with it. And now we are here after payback, getting this show off the ground. But we are thrilled. Trust me to bring it to you guys. We love doing these instant analysis podcasts. Let's get into the match by match breakdown. We do have some extraneous stuff to also talk about from SmackDown that related to some of these matches, but nevertheless, we're gonna kick it off with the main event of WWE Payback, the World Heavyweight Championship on the line. Seth Rollins defending against Shinsuke Nakamura. First, quickly on SmackDown, we got a video package. It was basically an amalgamation of all the ones we've seen before, but all mixed together. It hit pretty damn hard. Nakamura again came off incredibly well on SmackDown. So before the match at Payback, Rollins entered first. He was draped in gold. Fantastic reception by the crowd. Before Nakamura came out, he got this really sick like Japanese anime comic book style video package showing him destroying Rollins, breaking his back, and then relieving him of the burden that is the World Heavyweight Championship. This was awesome. Like Nakamura being booked by Triple H is such a delight. The great Muda was also ringside for Nakamura's first WWE main roster uh, main event match at a premium live event. The build to this, even just on payback itself, was simply fantastic. But the last two weeks in totality, Chris, I thought were great. And going into this when the bell rang, it felt like a major fight and a worthy main event.
1: I think I may have said this in the Ultimate Preview, but this was the most interesting Shinsuke Nakamura has been, I think, in his entire WWE run. He's never, like, other than maybe his debut match against Sami Zayn in NXT, like, he was never this cool, like, in a, in a badass type of way. This was awesome. I was fired up. Like I said, they got me really into this match a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. when I wasn't, and that's absolute credit to... To the booking, to the to the to the video team, to that animation entrance. Just awesome, awesome stuff.
0: It really was. So let's get into the match. There were dueling Nakamura and Let's Go Rollins chance, which is a clear surprise given Shinsuke is a full heel here. Uh, Rollins had a springboard swanton bomb and a tope suicida. He went to do something off the barricade, but Nakamura flipped him off of it into the announce table, and then put him spine-first into the barricade. Selling his back, Rollins chose not to do the superplex-falcon arrow combo. Instead, he did a huracarana off the ropes and then hit a huge frog splash. He countered Shinsuke into Rainmaker and screamed at him that he knows the risks that he takes with his back. Nakamura avoided the stomp and worked the back more. He did that pretty much all match. He kicked Rollins in the back and hit a sliding German suplex, plus an inverted exploder, Rollins countered Kinshasa with a superkick. Nakamura then countered him into an armbar. Rollins' back gave out when he tried to escape. Rollins got a second wind and was able to deadlift Nakamura into a Liger bomb with a delayed cover. We got a New Japan-style strike exchange. Shinsuke then took him off the top rope for an avalanche landslide and a false finish. Nakamura came back with Kinshasa to the back of Rollins' head, but Seth collapsed before he could follow up. He fought from his knees and flipped over the ropes, doing three standing switches into a pedigree. Nakamura intercepted a stomp attempt as Rollins hobbled. He sat down on Seth for a pin, with Rollins reversing the combination, and then immediately popping up into a stomp for a dead-armed 1-2-3 cover to retain the title in 26 minutes. I gotta tell you, I thought this was excellent, and a terrific main event that marked the return of the real Shinsuke Nakamura to WWE. And to your point, really the real Shinsuke Nakamura existed in NXT and for a very brief period on the main roster. I saw people complaining after this match about Rollins retaining. Title changes don't just happen willy nilly. Rushing the strap on Shinsuke here, while I'd have loved it personally, it's not like it was some huge missed opportunity or something, hardly not the same thing as deciding not to strap up Finn Balor at SummerSlam. And if they were going to make a change of the World Heavyweight Championship, they would have done it at SummerSlam with Balor, perhaps over Nakamura here at Payback with a one-month build. That said, it is fair to note, Chris, that the buildup for Shinsuke was so huge going into this match, the video package, great mood of ringside, it felt like he was going to win. They could have even used Muda if they wanted to like missed Rollins in the face and excuse the loss. But anyway, my lone problem with the match was not the winner because Rollins winning is totally fine. It was part of the finish, not the sequence or the booking. That was all okay. The execution of it was really strange. Rollins pops up into the stomp, but he doesn't cover right away. When he does cover, he drapes an arm. And the referee, it seemed like it was one of those referees that's like, you know, paid off by the wrestler. It was the fastest one, two, three I've seen in a regular match that I can remember. I don't understand why he did that. And it ruined the drama of the finish of the match. Now, I think that happening may have left a bad taste in people's mouths given it was not just the match finish, but it was the show finish. You want that final moment to be a climax and... They just didn't deliver it with a dramatic count. The idea, the story, is that Rollins got out by the skin of his teeth. It was probably the most complete match story we got on the entire show, and it was a deserving main event, you know, for the night. It was probably the third best match overall, only because two others were just straight up phenomenal. And Nakamura came out of this, I thought, looking completely rejuvenated and totally re-legitimized. So I went four stars and an A minus. I may have liked it more than others, but it hit me right. If the finish was better, it was a clear A match.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said everything that I was gonna say. Uh I apologize. You I it about four stars as well. And my only thing was the finish. Uh I actually didn't notice the quick count, uh, the one, two, three. I didn't mm-hmm. go back and watch it. So maybe I maybe I should, but I did think, oh, Seth gets the he gets a stomp, and you're like, "Oh, it's over." But then he's taking his time to get right. over. I'm like, "Oh, okay." Normally, you're so used to an a, a kick out. match. Yeah. If someone is slow to cover, that means they're going to kick out. And as it happens, I'm thinking, "Oh, not many people kick out of the stomp." I know he's going slow, but is, is he really going to get it? And then, oh, all right, I guess not. Yeah, if if Rollins had gotten the stomp and then just turned over and just laid his arm on there mm-hmm. and he'd go one, two, three, that would that would have been perfect. That that's exactly how to end I, I was kind of surprised at the finish, but the match was great. Really fun. Didn't feel like it was as long as it was. uh Again, this was the old Shinsuke Nakamura that we hadn't seen in a while. You know, th- there had been all those reports that Shinsuke was just happy to be mm-hmm. surfing and was just kind of kind of end his career here, and you just you just felt like it was done and he wasn't going to be the old Shinsuke. And then they just decided to pull this out a couple weeks ago and give us an awesome match and an awesome story. And yeah, Shinsuke lost, but he is completely. Uh, legitimized more than totally. he ever was, even in a loss. Cause like, again, a couple weeks ago, he wasn't doing nothing for a long time. Well, and now he suddenly gets a title match and performs well. So it's like, Hey, I ta- I'm taking this guy seriously now, even though he lost.
0: I did see some people saying that. And I actually addressed this in our news post on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over cheap plug. Um, but you have to remember they were building Nakamura into this for months. So, He was in the whole situation with Bronson Reed and Tommaso Ciampa, and he kept getting in their business, and they kept getting in his, and you could see shades of a heel turn kind of forming with Nakamura. It's just that they didn't execute it until after SummerSlam. They waited. Now, maybe they could have done it beforehand, and he turned, but I guess the reasoning was they wanted the turn on Rollins to be a shock in the moment, which it was on Raw, even though you could kind of sense that it was coming based on the way they told that story across the entirety of that episode. But I, I thought this was telegraphed. Nakamura turning heel. I didn't know that he was going to go into the main event. Certainly. Well, but r- right, it was pretty I, I, clear. I mean, but it was pretty clear heel, that his character was changing.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was definitely going heel. But it's not like he was he was fighting Bronson Reed and Tommaso Ciampa, you right? Know? And then suddenly he's right. fighting Seth Rollins. You're know, like that. That's the, the that's the part of it that Agreed, needs to be sure. legitimized. And he and he and he completely is. So yeah. Uh, now I now the next time he's doing something. I'm like, all right, I can take take Shinsuke seriously here. And also, he should probably win whatever next feud he's in. Keep him going on this unless he's just going to go back down to the midcard
0: or something. Well, it's interesting you said that because after Payback went off the air, Adam Pierce was walking Rollins backstage when Nakamura attacked him from behind on the ramp and kind of beat the crap out of him. And WWE did post this as a digital extra after Payback went off the air. So presumption being this feud's continuing for another month. Otherwise, there's no reason whatsoever to run that attack, especially if there was not going to be a Money in the Bank cash-in. I'm down for this to go another four or five weeks. But I will say, and this is the risk that WWE always runs when they do this with a babyface champion, if you have Nakamura lose again, people are going to be really angry. Maybe not as angry as they were with Balor, because with Finn, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity at SummerSlam. And Nakamura is older and he's been slower and balor still seems pretty close near the top of his game i just want to give a fair warning to everyone a it seems like it's continuing b rollins will probably retain don't get too upset when that yes. happens here, here here's the one thing i want to happen
1: in this so like the, they applied like they start off hey seth i know about your back it's hurt mm-hmm. and then like that's the storyline and he's he's leaning on his back he's leaning on his back and all this stuff like he didn't Shinsuke didn't really do anything to it. And that that's the one thing I thought was kind of missing from this storyline. So what they should do is he should attack Seth in I didn't actually see this digital short, but he should attack Seth in a way where he injures his back further. So then when Seth sells the back, it's different. Otherwise, theoretically, he should just be selling the back forever now. Like the Cody Rhodes arm thing. So I think that's another place you can take this.
0: So in the clip, Nakamura fully goes after his back. Two big shots, and, and Rollins is selling it. Significant pain. Also, he focused on the back of the entire match. I mean, not every single sequence, but I mean, I'll tell you this. Michael Cole and Corey Graves, they were actually great for the majority of payback. But in this match, yep. they went way overboard talking about the back. So they kept mentioning it. Rollins kept selling it. Rollins went away from his normal scripted moveset because of the back, because of moves he didn't think he could do. So again, I think it was the best match story of the entire show, even if it was not the best match of the entire show. Real quick, before we move on, how do you right now rate Rollins' run as the inaugural World Heavyweight Champion? I see people suggesting he's put on good matches, but he's boring. And look, I don't love the character. I find it strange, though, that fans begged for WWE to push Rollins and give him a deserved title reign, and he's like 100 days into it, and everyone's turning on him just because he's now champion, and they want other people to win. Just because you want Balor to be champion, just because you want Nakamura to be champion, doesn't mean Rollins is a bad champion. You just have a different preference. I wanted Balor to win badly. That doesn't mean now I think Rollins is doing a terrible job because WWE didn't book it the way I wanted. It does not make sense to me. I think he's doing a great job.
1: I mean he's doing a great job in terms of like, it does feel like it matters, but I've said for a long time that his character is nothing to me mm-hmm. for a, for a, for a long time. He's just, people sing my songs. There's nothing to it. These last two weeks are by far the most interesting he's been in yeah. a long time. Uh, so if it keeps up like that, that's great. But like you went into the, we went into the SummerSlam match and even the money in the bank match. Like, wanting finn Balor to win oh yeah for sure because he had he had the better story Mm -hmm. you know like he was almost the face because of what he had been through and and seth just kind of hasn't he hasn't had a story to sink his teeth into until this it can't just be ha 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 people sing my song and i wear goofy clothes and i win my matches like that's nothing like i i want more right and so i'm hoping what we've got here is is finally that more so it's like, it's been fine, mm-hmm. something amazing, but it's, it's been fine. That's all the issue with Seth is sometimes is that he, he just kind of wears on you and gets boring over a period of time. So I, I, but the last few weeks have been good.
0: You're right about that. But I mean, it's been three months. <laughs> I mean, it's, this isn't like it's a, it's a 300 day reign. I mean, it's, it's three months. Okay. Maybe we don't love his character, but he's still doing a good job. Let me also point out, people kept asking, why didn't Damian Priest cash in after Seth, Roll- Seth Rollins back was entirely screwed up. It was a great opportunity. I feel like everyone may have gone to the bathroom during the backstage segment with John Cena when he acted like Lance Catamaran from Southpaw. He was interviewing Damian Priest and Finn Balor, and we'll talk about why he was interviewing them later. But they said, hey, we're going out on the town tonight. We're not staying here. So he wasn't in the arena. <laughs> like, do they have to beat you over the head with it? Like, he wasn't there. that That's why there was no potential cash in attempt. Also, if you always threaten a cash in every single time the title is defended, then when it actually gets cashed in the money in the bank briefcase it's way less special the whole point is you do some you know attempted cash ins then you wait and you don't do it for a while and then ultimately you do it and the person either succeeds or fails but it's a surprise in the moment so i just wanted to point that out yeah i'm glad you did let's move on to the match that opened the show becky lynch versus trish stratus inside a steel cage as I said, this began the premium live event, and I got to be honest, I don't know if you got to see the entire thing. I thought it was a WrestleMania-level video package to preview this match. It was phenomenal. It made this feel like it actually could have been the main event of Payback.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, like to say, if you're not going to end the show, open the show, mm-hmm. and there was a lot to this. For a long time, we thought we were going to get it at SummerSlam. It didn't. Like, there was a lot to work with. And they made it feel like as big as we needed it to feel. You know, mm-hmm. there were very much ups and downs along the way. But what we got on Raw last week was awesome. And it got us back to where it needed to be, which was Becky in a big match where she was going to win and then feel like a huge deal again. So it set us up right up going into this match where it felt like they got it back to where it needed to be.
0: For sure. So Trish opened up with a great Matrix-style avoidance move. Becky took her headbanger-style into the cage and hit a draping leg drop off the top rope. Becky caught Trish's handstand Karana. Stratus pulled herself up and tried climbing out. So Lynch grabbed her for a powerbomb off the ropes. Trish escaped manhandle slam with a widow's peak as an homage to Victoria. Becky came back with Twist of Fate as an homage to Lita. Trish took advantage of an injured knee to hit Stratus Faction on Becky for a 2.9 false finish. Stratus then stopped Avalanche Manhandle Slam and countered with Avalanche Stratus Faction with a delayed cover in another 2.9 false finish. Trish got her entire body over the top and then got her legs trapped in the top, the those holes in the top that they have there, uh, which was a great visual, her hanging down backwards outside of the cage. Becky then took her off the top of the cage, with an insane superplex. She draped an arm for a 2.99 false finish with a slight shoulder move by Trish. Lynch then started climbing as Stratus went for the door, so Becky stopped what she was doing, ran down, grabbed Trish's legs. Zoe Stark appears, grabs Trish's arms, and they start doing a tug of war with Trish being the rope, basically. Then Stark slammed the cage door and Lynch's head, that was a false finish, Becky immediately came back with Manhandle Slam, but Stark ran into the cage to break the fall. So Zoe starts dragging Trish out. Becky, she goes, "Uh uh-uh. She purposely slams the door to keep Zoe inside, making it a two-on-one handicap match. She immediately delivered Manhandle Slam to Stark, then grabbed Stratus as she was trying to exit the top, hitting an avalanche Manhandle Slam off the top rope, to get the win in 20 minutes. What is there to say here? Holy shit. This was worth the wait. It was legitimately an instant classic, a match people will go back and watch frequently, particularly if it ends up being Trisha's last match or among her final matches. Would I have preferred no stark interference? Yeah, okay, of course I would. You know me. But we have been begging Triple H to reestablish Becky's dominance. And what is more dominant than not only beating Trish in a steel cage, but purposefully making it a handicap match in the finish and then defeating two women simultaneously? That excused, for me, Zoe's interference, as did the fact that she got no offense and Becky just dismantled her. And then you have the match itself. The pacing was perfect. The sequences were extremely thoughtful, We, of course, got the homages to Victoria and Lita for their steel cage match. All of those 2.9 kickouts, expert level, exceptional stuff here from start to finish. We talked about Becky and Zoe setting a high bar on Raw, and we wondered, hey, is this even going to be able to surpass that? Forget surpass it, it flew past it. We wondered whether this would be their best match. It was the best match in this entire storyline, predating... WrestleMania, four point seven five stars, A plus, and I will tell you what I am one hundred percent rewatching this before I hit the sack tonight. I don't think I'll go five. Maybe I go down to four point five. We will see. I just do not know, Chris, how this could have been any better than it was.
1: Absolute A A plus type of match, like four point seven five stars. I we came out of the no holds barred match with Zoe Stark or the false count anywhere, which we loved. And I said, it's going to be really hard to top that because that's like the best stipulation. And they absolutely did. This was incredible. I came out of this thinking one, this match in this run for Trish really, truly solidifies her legacy as one of the best ever. You know, you could always say, Oh, you know, she was in the attitude era. They didn't really wrestle all that much. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they did the main event with Lita, but like she wasn't like a good wrestler or whatever. But like, but what she has done in this run and in this match, like, no, she's wrestling better now than she ever has. Mm -hmm. And if this is the end or not, I don't know. It's just like this has been incredible, elevated her legacy, elevated Becky Lynch to another level. And my number two on this was I came out of this realizing. Becky Lynch is already in the conversation for one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. Absolutely, from match quality to what they can do on the mic, to what she can do on the mic, she has everything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she delivers in these big moments. Uh, pinning Ronda Rousey, uh, notwithstanding, uh, she comes out of this looking like the absolute megastar she always was. Got her exactly, got her back to that level. This was incredible. I'm, I'm very happy for everybody involved for getting to that. And Zoe Stark comes out of this looking great as well. Well, hold on. I loved. Yeah. Let's pause on that. Yeah. Well, no, I, I know I won't get yeah. back to it. No, I, I'm still in the match, but the, closing the door to, to be like, no, you're you, I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. Exactly. Was incredible. Yeah. Such a Becky Lynch move. And I loved it. The only thing was I still kind of generally hate that you can escape through the door mm-hmm. in cage matches. And that's why, cause you could, cause it was awesome that Becky did that and it fits her character, but you're also just like, well, you could have won right there, you know? And I just, I wish they would take that part out of cage matches in general, but that, that moment right there just kind of capped everything. And then you got the amazing finish. This was spectacular.
0: That's why in that moment I appreciated, she locked her in and immediately hit her yeah. finisher. She didn't have to wrestle her. She didn't really have to do a two on one. She just, she was in the zone and she took her out it was almost like Kill Bill. You know what I mean? It was like the bride and Kill Bill. She just said, you know what? You're dead. (laughs) You know, I'm taking care of you. And then I'm going after the boss that that I was actually here for. And it was fantastic. Now you mentioned Zoe and obviously more happened after the bell. So Zoe helped Trish up. Stratus got in her face and tried storming past her. Stark stopped her feeling disrespected. So Stratus slapped her across the face and demanded that she leave. Instead, Stark closed the door. So pretty much Exactly what Becky did before. She stood up for herself and then she hit Trish Stratus with Z360, ripping off the thank you Trish shirt and throwing it down on her. This was a perfect way to either wrap up the storyline or have it re-enter its next phase. Whether it was a total babyface turn for Zoe, I'm not sure about that, but standing up for herself against a legend and then Trish taking her finisher. That is big time stuff. At a minimum, it gives Stratus another feud. It may also give her further reason for a long break before that feud starts, if she wants to take a couple you know, months off first. At a maximum though, if she doesn't have another match, she went out not only putting over Lynch, but putting over the younger Stark. I loved the way this went down. And look, we also have to give huge credit to Trish for going this long, at least, in her WWE return. Even if the storyline dragged, and even if some of the promo segments didn't work, let's not get it twisted. Tonight at Payback, she put on the best match of her entire career at age 47 inside a steel cage with Becky Lynch. During a run, she absolutely did not need to do she was already a legend she's already a hall of famer and she gave us as fans that match on saturday night i got three words for you thank you trish
1: and that's the other part of this this is how you give the rub to a new to a new face on the roster when you pair them up like you do it in a way that elevates them and then you kind of put them over on the way out zoe stark looks so much better Mm -hmm. coming out of this whole thing both with both through becky and with trish like this this is exactly how you play this so good on trish for that good on the way WWE for booking it good for zoe stark for more than holding her own throughout this like it was i was never like early on there were a couple moments but toward the end of this feud i was never like "Ugh, there's zoe stark ruining the fun between becky and trish like no zoe absolutely held her own and brought a lot to this and she'll be a lot better for it Going it, forward. it
0: was also genius booking, we have to admit. I mean, we've been criticizing Triple H's women's booking for a while, but bringing up Zoe Stark, a top prospect out of NXT, and immediately putting her with Trish, and having her be a central part. She wasn't just someone who tagged along in this you know, storyline. She was a central part of this storyline. She got a win over Becky Lynch as part of this storyline. I mean, it's just incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. and It's great for Zoe long-term. It's great for mm-hmm. Becky in the short-term. She's completely reestablished as... A top two woman, I think, in the entire company coming out of beating Trish Stratus. And Trish, again, maybe she takes a break. Maybe she immediately goes into something um, with Zoe. Maybe she retires. I don't know. All three, though, are great options because of how good this match was. It's a perfect way to go out, but I kind of hope she doesn't go out this way because I want more. I want another six months of this. I want to see her end her career at WrestleMania. I don't know who it would be against, but I'm down to see it. Uh, later backstage, Becky was beaten up, ready for an interview. When NXT Women's Champion Tiffany Stratton came up apologizing for mistakenly calling her a former NXT Women's Champion on TV a couple weeks ago, Lynch shot back with a Barbie quip about her saying Stratton should focus on this week's challenger for her title and maybe she would see her soon. I don't know if Triple H is booking like for everything in the world I want, but the idea of Becky (laughs) going down to NXT for a run on top of all this. Holy shit, that would be amazing. This is like a Silver King wet dream coming true. I don't like the idea of Stratton beating Lynch, but maybe they have Becky win. Maybe they do a straight DQ and just get her out of there. Either way, I'm all for it. And also, I know many of you do not watch NXT. Tiffany's been struggling on the mic recently. This was her best promo in a long time. So I I love the backstage segment.
1: Yeah, my my only thought really was, man, Becky's been through hell over the last week, six days really, She don't need to wrestle on Raw and NXT. Give her a week (laughs) off. So it would at least least be a week off. It
0: won't be this Tuesday. Yeah, it won't be this Tuesday.
1: Yeah, but I did love the point that Tiffany said and should have kind of leaned into even more, which was you never won this championship. Right. And I'm like, maybe that's what they make the story. between them. Although I don't know, like Becky would have to win if they have a match then to get the NXT championship. I don't know. But uh, that's another little cool wrinkle in that as well, because that's kind of part of the Becky story. So uh, that was fun. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it was. All right. Let's move on to the Undisputed Tag Team Championship match. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, the champions, defending against Judgment Day in a Steel City street fight. First on SmackDown, KO and Sami fought the LWO in a non-title match. LWO had like a couple nice moments, only for Cruz del Toro. Tita Papa Powerbomb, Huluva Kick, and Stunner. After the bell, Sammy told Judgment Day that payback will be the fight of their lives. I did not understand the point of this match. The champions did not need to have a match. And LWO certainly did not need to get squashed by them. The promo lasted 15 seconds. Who did this benefit? Why was this on SmackDown? I know they probably wanted a go-home moment. Just have them cut a promo for five minutes. Like I thought it was extremely strange.
1: Yes, it was weird. Um... I was, there's a lot going on again, football on Friday night too, but it was, uh, it was strange. I didn't really have much to say other than it was just, I was like, huh, that was weird.
0: Okay. So we'll get to the match at payback. Uh, Finn Balor stomped all over a terrible towel to get extra heel heat at the start. Kendo sticks and trash cans were used early. KO ripped off his black shirt, revealing a Terry Funk picture shirt as he and Sammy took turns slamming kendo sticks into a trash can that was wrapped around Balor. Then we went to steel chairs with 10 of them in the ring. When they went into the crowd, Dominic Mysterio came out making it three on two, and Judgment Day actually talked strategy. They huddled up in the crowd and talked. So KO and Sammy, who had gotten dumped into a penalty box, I guess they were in the Pittsburgh Penguins arena, they emerged from the penalty box wearing Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby Penguins jerseys with hockey sticks to, (laughs) I can only describe it as an explosive pop. The fans went wild for this. Owens was also bloodied with a Hardway crimson mask all over his face. He eventually wiped it off when he got a towel. Uh, they beat down Judgment Day, uh, and then they did a hockey fight with Dom back inside the ring. Zane hit Balor with Blue Thunderbomb into a stack of chairs. Priest then took out Zane into four opened-up chairs. They all went back into the crowd. Uh, they went all the way down to the kickoff show set. Corey Graves actually jumped into the crowd at one point because he wanted to get out of Dodge. They almost ran into him. Sammy hit a somersault sent on off the desk to a huge pop. Dom comes back for the second time. KO ends up climbing all the way to the top of the vom in the lower level and hits a swanton bomb on Dominic through a table in an absolutely iconic shot at an iconic spot, very ECW, very Terry Funk. That left Sammy alone with Balor and Priest in the ring. So you thought the finish was coming. Priest interrupted Huluva Kick by throwing a trash can at Sammy for a false finish. Priest tried Razor's Edge. Zayn escaped and hit an exploder. Then he bumped Balor off the apron through a table at ringside. Priest caught Sammy going for Huluva Kick, but KO slid back inside, hit him with the stunner. Zane hit Huluva Kick. And you're like, okay, this is the end of the match. Great match. JD McDonough comes in, shockingly saves it. He threw Sammy into the post. He pointed and yelled at Priest, basically saying, see, I'm doing good for you. So Owens comes out, levels him with a pop-up powerbomb into the side of the announce table, just like he used to do on the ring apron. Then Rhea Ripley runs in from out of nowhere and spears Kevin Owens through the fucking barricade. Back inside, Balor hits Sling Blade and a shotgun dropkick. He missed coup de Gras. Zane caught him coming back with an exploder and a huluva kick, but Dom broke that fall with a Money in the Bank briefcase in another surprise, and Balor just drapes his arm dead over Zane for the 1-2-3 to win the undisputed tag team championships. Judgment Day came together in the ring. Balor and Priest were shocked, yet thrilled they pulled it off. Rhea and Dom lifted them up. Then they celebrated on the stage. They held all six belts and the Money in the Bank briefcase, and Pyro exploded everywhere. This was not just great. This was absurdly great. Let me get my negatives out of the way. Just like with Penta L0M last week, the mid-match costume change with those jerseys that just happened to be ready for them in that spot, it hurts the suspension of disbelief. But, holy shit, did the crowd pop for those Penguins kits. And then, you also had three people interfering a total of six times. That's a lot. It was really five on two, this match. All that said, this was classic 90s attitude era, NWO faction heel tactics. And man, oh man, do I love faction stuff like this when it's not overdone. KO and Sammy were protected massively in the finish. They almost looked unbeatable given how much it took to actually put them down. Judgment Day badly needed to win a feud, not to mention Balor badly needed to win something, which he not only did here, he got the pinfall. Now, he's a Grand Slam champion, the 22nd one in WWE history. We are eating good on that. Oh, and by the way, we also avoided a Judgment Day breakup. KO was the clear MVP. It looked like he broke his arm or wrist or did something on the Swanton Bomb, but he finished the match. That move, holy shit, total car crash. The fans were out of their damn minds for this, and then you had Ripley with that Spear on Owens made her look like an absolute certified monster. And the last two false finishes, they were outstanding. Both of them truly did seem like the end of the match. This was absolutely outstanding, a 21 minute banger in every sense of the word. It was so good that Michael Cole was literally jumping up and down on commentary while calling the action. I went 4.5 stars and an A, just like with the women's match. I'm gonna rewatch this. I could see another quarter star A-plus range. This was a hell of a homage to Terry Funk. This was the tribute match, not what we got on SmackDown. Chris, if you cannot tell, I absolutely loved this.
1: This was, this stunned me, everything about this. I I thought coming in, the champions would retain. There'd be maybe a breakup, and it might be like a fun themed WWE match that they do sometimes. And even as it was playing out and when they come out with the Pittsburgh uh, Pittsburgh Penguins jerseys, I almost pulled a Michael Kolder. You did the Penguins jerseys. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was like, Oh, that's funny. Oh, this is fun. Like, I'm just, I'm having a good time. This is fun. This is fun. And then the end happens and they win. I was like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that to come. Like the, 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 the first, Tag Team Championship match to ever main event at least one night of WrestleMania, like this iconic moment. Mm-hmm. And this is how the run ends. And I'm happy about it because, like I've said for a while, their run has been largely uninspiring. Not their fault, just naturally the booking of everything and just kind of often not having nothing to do. They've been fighting Judgment Day and Raw main events for two months. Mm-hmm. And suddenly Judgment Day's got they've got all got gold. And at this at this moment, and I was like, "Holy crap!" Like we, we were so worried. They've been hinting and hinting at breakups, and breakups, and they told a great. They told all of that came back in here. JD McDonough coming in, Dominic with the perfect pin breakup, Rhea with the spear through the barricade. Just like this is like they're on the same page, working together. And, and I love the way they taught. We'll get to what happens afterward too. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved the story it told for them. I'm excited that we have new tag team champions. I wish the titles were split. I still don't understand why they're together. I think they're going to be. Uh, and and mostly, more than anything, I just hope Kevin Owens is okay because that Swanton bomb, mm-hmm. he barely got the table. Uh, he smacked his back of his legs against the ground. I don't know how the table broke. He barely clipped Dominic. Hell, good job on the on working those tables because mm-hmm. uh, that looked bad. I was very worried about that uh, at the moment.
0: You can see the pain in his face when he landed and he grabbed yeah. his arm. He grabbed his arm immediately. And I mean, he the guy's curious. already banged up. He has the rib issue and Sammy has the elbow issue. Um, but Chris, let me ask you a question because you did mention the titles, right? And splitting them up. What color do you get when you mix red and blue? Uh, Purple. Purple. What's Judgment Day's color? I'm just saying, I'm, I'm very curious to see what they do with the titles on Raw. They could go the undisputed route. They could do a purple variant for them, or they could use this title change. And this is what I said on the Ultimate Preview. You use this title change as a reason to split the titles. You make this, you know, whatever, the undisputed WWE uh, Tag Team Championship or the WWE Tag Team Championship, and then you create a World Tag Team Championship, just pretty much like they did with the women's titles. That's what I would do. There are so many tag teams across both shows. I mean, they just did Grayson Waller and Austin Theory on SmackDown on Friday. We'll talk about that on yeah, Tuesday's like WWE them. show. But they were a totally like legitimate tag team in one night. You have all the teams yeah. on Raw. The Street Profits are back. And I know people like, yeah, there's a lot of titles and sometimes there's too many titles. But the way the rosters are set up now and with Triple H's recommitment to the tag team division, I think two tag team titles for the men would completely work. Yes, totally.
1: It it worked for a while. It, it's been it's been a while since the USO said unifying them, but we've been wanting them to unify them for a while because mm-hmm. you've had t- tag teams on SmackDown just kind of not doing much when Sammy and Kevin Owens don't show up. I've been wanting them to break up the titles from the moment Sammy and Kevin Owens won them. Mm-hmm. So if, if if this means you get red and blue, you get some purple belts for Judgment Day, and you bring in like a World Tag Team Championship like they used to do. As uh, now we have a women's world championship we Mm -hmm. have a men's world championship a world tag team championship seems like the logical step so yep maybe they merge those together you bring new tag titles i think it'd be a great way to do it
0: yep totally agree with you so let's move to the women's world championship speaking of rhea ripley against raquel rodriguez this was the co-main event they beat the shit out of each other early with ripley getting cut on her nose and look i'll straight up i'll just tell you what this was oh we got two Obviously women, but nevertheless, the point remains. Thank you, Big E. Rhea got the extended upper hand, but Raquel refused to back down. She had a nasty lariat to the back of Ripley's head, plus a fallaway slam. Rhea stopped the corkscrew elbow, but Raquel picked her off the top ropes for a big vertical suplex, then hit the corkscrew elbow as cameras were in a replay. Bad production timing. Ripley escaped the Tahana bomb and drove a knee into Rodriguez. Raquel then countered out of Riptide, and they badly botched either a powerbomb or a backwards flip into the top rope. Not sure what the plan was. Anyway, Ripley smartly took out Rodriguez's knee, then put her in the prism trap, but Raquel rolled out into a pinning combination. Raquel then drove Rhea spine first into the ring post and side power bombed her into the barricade. Then she did snake eyes into the post. Dom ran in to help, but Raquel grabbed him for Braun Strowman's running power slam. Ripley caught her off the distraction with Riptide and got the win in 18 minutes. Now, this was the third time Rhea and Raquel have fought singles. The first was in 2020, and the last prior to this was in 2021. I think both in NXT, obviously. Tough to recall the specifics of them, but I believe last woman standing in 2021 was the best of the three. This was damn good. The finish with Dom, you know, you have to weigh having Ripley beat Rodriguez clean, basically evaporating her as a challenger, or you do a distraction finish and you allow this feud to happen a second time, it could happen immediately, or they do it at some point just before WrestleMania when she needs a challenger. And I think running this match again, whether in the near or distant future, that is the right move because there's only so many women on Raw right now who can match up with her, and presumably you're saving Becky Lynch for Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania. This is definitely a case where I did not mind the finish going this way, even though, I would have probably figured out another way to book it. I went 3.25 stars in a B due to the botch, a slow start and interference in the finish. Not to mention, there was a lot of competition on the show itself and it didn't measure up to a lot of the other matches. Raquel was not over enough to engender a strong crowd response. They really need to work on her character and figure out a way to get her over with fans. Really, she's best as a heel, but they just haven't done enough with her as a babyface still, we did get very strong. <laughs> big meaty men slapping meat. That's what I want. That is what we wanted to see. And there was a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And sometimes, you know, we don't want water and we don't want bread. All we want is meat.
1: He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat.
0: And this was a lot of meat. But surprisingly, it actually kind of went a few minutes too long, which you never almost, I never almost say about women's matches
1: you mentioned working on raquel rodriguez's character what is her character like her character is was is friends with live morgan and has back muscles
0: and like, is from texas yeah
1: there's yeah, like there's this and this isn't her fault this is yeah they've just they've done nothing with her mm-hmm. for a while other than look how strong i am like there's nothing to connect to and i've been baffled by it like the, the her, i'm friends with live morgan was about the closest thing that they tried so Yeah, she needs to get a character work because everybody loves Rhea Ripley. And if you want her to get booed, you got to have somebody that people like more. Uh, So but overall, like I I, I can't speak to the other matches between these two. But I thought this was fine. I enjoyed it. Um, Both of them did pretty well. It's nice for Rhea to be in a title match against, you know, a formidable opponent. Uh, I think the only one in her reign as champion was that Natalia match. At uh, Night of Champions, League. that was her best match so, of this reign so far. Yeah, yeah, it's about the only one that was like interesting. Mm-hmm. So, kudos, to th- this was good. Like, she needs to be defending the title more. This is a good step, and she won, so we
0: keep going. I think that's the great way to put it. It was a good step forward to something that we haven't been getting from her, which is title defenses against legitimate challengers. And whether the match was great, good, whatever, Raquel was a legitimate challenger, and that was good to see here. Let's move to LA Knight against The Miz. Now, we did have some legitimate development on SmackDown. Uh, Miz came out, he started talking. Knight quickly interrupted him. He pointed out that The Miz has impersonated John Cena, The Rock, and Knight, three guys he wishes he could be. Knight put over his struggles to get to this point in his career, saying Miz rode into WWE on the real world while he has already surpassed him. Miz said that he succeeds because he's a star. Knight correctly pointed out, that Maurice is the star of his show, and then Chris, he dropped this absolutely incredible line. After payback tomorrow, when I send her a broken, battered husband, she's gonna feel empty inside. But with one little call to this guy, we can fix that real quick. It'll look good, but she's got me saying, "Hey now, hey now, indeed." Ms. said Knight will not only lose the match Saturday but with it, lose his job and his career. Knight got the final word, but after some jostling, Miz ended up catching him with Skull Crushing Finale and dropped the mic on his head. It did seem like that was the end, but as Miz was like celebrating going down the ramp, Knight chased after him, attacked him on the stage, and beat him down. No doubt this was a hot go-home moment. The line I quoted from Knight was outstanding. I cannot believe that was like planned for Fox, but I guess the meaning was hidden enough. Like some of those lines that are in cartoons that you don't fully understand until you're like an adult. Uh, There were a couple flubs from both guys, but the crowd was so hot that they just, they continued chanting for night. Like 30 seconds after the segment ended, they went over to commentary, and like Kevin Patrick is trying to talk, and everyone's chanting LA night, and the guys aren't even there anymore. These guys cannot miss on the stick together. This was another A-plus promo battle, even if Miz, as of right now, is still more refined on the mic than Knight is.
1: I, I wouldn't say a plus promo battle because they both flub some lines and. But just you're right.
0: You're no, no. Let me let me correct. You are a thousand percent right. A minus sure. promo battle. Very yeah. good point.
1: I, I i i've been i've been saying this a lot. Like La Night, look the 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 Battle Royal win was great. It's great when he gets to be on both shows and do his catchphrases, but. It, it, oh, we wish he won the U.S. title, blah, blah, blah. No, what he needed was a real feud to bring out his character, something that we can connect with that's not just chanting. And that's exactly what they're doing. Talking about being roach-infested hotels, talking about where he came from, all these things. This is how you become a big-time staining baby face and not just a flash in the pan, which is what they're calling him. And so the result is. When you do, when you have the hot promo battle and you hear LA Knight's story and you're connecting with him as a character, then when he wants you to do his catchphrase, you're doing it even louder. Mm -hmm. Like this was maybe the loudest LA Knight and yeah, chance we've gotten outside of maybe London, like because people are feeling it. Now, that's why this feud is hot as hell. That's why I've been really excited about this whole thing. Like this is the thing that is going to make LA Knight sustained. This is the thing he needed to do Mm -hmm. to prove he was more than just catchphrases and he was delivering on that.
0: No doubt about it. So let's move to Saturday night. John Cena hit the ring in the second segment. He was, of course, the host of WWE Payback. He said he's done everything in WWE except host and it was his job as host to make the show as special as possible. So he decided he was going to be the special guest referee for LA Knight against The Miz. Before he could say more, The Miz obviously interrupted. He said, Cena sucks as a host. He made a comment about him apparently being in the Barbie movie. I haven't seen that yet. Spoiler alert, Miz. Thank you very much. Uh, And then gave him advice as a host, telling him that he dresses like a Teletubby, which, facts, right? I mean, it's not wrong. Uh, It ended with Cena tricking Miz into a series of no's and... Yes, and and basically it wrapped up there. This was nostalgia for me, like classic Cena Miz standoff, insanely hot segment. The crowd was on its feet, going crazy for Cena, booing Miz, and then losing their minds when La Knight's music hit for for his entrance. I thought it was tremendous stuff.
1: I was kind of surprised at the Barbie line because I was like, huh. John Cena's on, you know, part of the the writer, the actor strike. I don't know if he can say anything about Barbie or not. And he didn't really he just a mm-hmm. point taken. But uh, that that jumped out. I liked it. I liked um, the back and forth between them. It was fun and doing the nose into the yes. Like Cena just kind of turned him around on that. It was it was very fun. I'm going to say it multiple times, but I, I said. When they said Cena was coming back, I said, you got to get him involved with other people and do different things. And boy, oh boy, have they already started doing this.
0: We should also note that Cena after SmackDown on Friday noted he's cleared to wrestle. He's been training to wrestle. He is going to get physically involved in things in this two-month run that he's doing with WWE. So that's just a heads up for everyone going forward. Let's move to the match. LA Knight, The Miz. No doubt the crowd was on fire from bell to bell. Knight dumped Miz into the ring announcer's area and then did a box jump style flying clothesline off the barricade. Knight and Cena actually got into it at one point with LA telling John he'd put him down any day of the week. Classic back and forth here wrestling wise until Miz hit two DDTs for a very slow flat two count from Cena. Knight came back with a draping swinging DDT out of the corner. Cena prevented Miz from using the ropes for leverage. Both guys countered finishers and both nearly ran into Cena with Miz hitting skull crushing finale on Knight for a false finish. Miz mocked Cena doing five knuckle shuffle, but Knight kipped up and then hit his elbow version. Then he turned Miz around for blunt force trauma and got the win. Cena gave Miz his props off camera. They didn't mean to show it, they were showing LA Knight celebrating, but Cena literally got out of the ring, went to ringside, like put his hands on Miz's shoulder, and you could see like he was encouraging him and being like, hey, good match, thanks for doing that type of deal. So then Cena leaves the ringside area, goes up to the stage. LA Knight is celebrating. Cena rips off his referee shirt, and as Knight approaches him, gets in his face, but Cena eventually took a step back and offered his hand. Knight jawed about Cena, almost costing him the match. Cena said he wanted Knight to do it clean the right way, and after a pause, Knight goes, you know what? Fair enough. I then shook his hand. Then Cena raised his arm for a few moments and walked out with Knight getting lauded by the crowd. You know, I wasn't sure at first if the Cena element was needed. I thought it was for the more casual fans rather than the weekly watchers. But the moment on that stage was superb. It completely fit both of their characters. It was the cherry on top of this star-enhancing moment for Knight, the match was fine, solid across the board, classic WWE style, you know, from the 90s and the 2000s. Cena was actually not a great referee. His counts were way too slow, but the wrestling got it done. And we got the right winner. The crowd loved it. And Cena gave Knight a boost at the end. Plus, I really liked how LA and John weren't automatically friends. Just because they're baby faces, they had to earn each other's respect. It felt like we almost rewound thirteen years, all the way back to twenty ten. But I mean that in a good way. Three point five stars and a B.
1: Yeah, this was the match was exactly what it needed to be between these guys, and exactly what you thought it was going to be. Just kind of an above average, stick to the basics type of match. And honestly, that's what their promos are too. They 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 flub their lines when they try to do too much. When they just keep things simple, it's mm-hmm. all impactful. That goes for their promos. And for their wrestling, I was surprised. La Knight basically just got the clean win. You know, just I, I was I was wondering if this was going to keep going because it's such a hot feud. I think I I flipped my pick on the preview to say actually La Knight is going to win, but I wanted it to keep going mm-hmm. because I think these guys are doing really well for each other. Um, the end. I, it, it it was perfect that La Knight didn't just accept Cena's handshake because he's not that guy. He's not Cody Rhodes, right? He's more like Stone Cold Steve Austin, where he's not going to trust anybody. Like, oh, I'm I'm hot right now. And this guy wants to come be in my spotlight or something like that. Or, hey, this guy wasn't giving me the respect I deserve before. Should I accept it now? I'm not sure about this. I, I'm i you know, I'm, I'm looking out for me. I've been doing this on my own for this long. It fit. And then he eventually gets it and you get the handshake moment and you get a rub from Cena the L.A. night like. Again, that's exactly the kind of situation you can put him in to help put another guy over, mm-hmm. similar to the Trish situation. Like it was, it was great, really well done. LA Knight continues to get more and more over. Again, with more of an oomph this time, instead of just saying the catchphrase, people are feeling it, and, and and so great step forward. And again, I kind of hope this continues. I don't really see why it would, but uh, we'll see what's next for LA Knight.
0: Let's move to the United States Championship. Rey Mysterio defending against Austin Theory. First, before that, let's talk about SmackDown. We have Mysterio and Santos Escobar against Theory and Grayson and Waller. The heels laughed at Cena returning to WWE and put themselves over as a great tag team. Funny enough, just as Michael Cole praised them as a team, Waller accidentally slugged Theory in the face during the match. There was a strong action sequence uh, in the middle. Escobar sacrificed himself for Mysterio, who rolled outside with Theory as Waller caught Escobar with the rolling stunner for the win. This was a big win for the Heels, who, I gotta say, they looked really good together as a tag team. And you know what? If this is Triple H's plan for them in the near term, it's a great plan. Them tagging simply worked. Now, it was frustrating to see Escobar take the L when he won that number one contendership, and he still hasn't gotten a title match. Now he's healthy. He should be getting a title match. But it was executed circumstantially, the way he took the L. It was a worthwhile match on the go-home show. Again, Theory and Waller, two guys who needed a win. And Escobar, just based on where he is right now, taking the L, not really the end of the world.
1: Not the end of the world, but I'm with you. It was kind of surprising. But my, again, my biggest takeaway was Grayson Waller and Austin Theory, two guys who just kind of haven't either had anything to do or figured out how to do some things, could be terrific together. Mm-hmm. And I really want them to be attacked.
0: Waller's charisma rubbing off on Theory and Theory kind of working with Waller on his in-ring skill. It's a perfect freaking match. I, I really hope when we tune into SmackDown this coming Friday, they're still teaming or they're at least working together. I mean, that would be great. Let's move to the match on Payback. This match, by the way, sponsored by Cinnamon Toast Crunch, in case you didn't see the massive ad on the Titantron, it actually started decently formulaic but it heated up when Theory tried ripping off Mysterio's mask on the ropes. Ray came back with two hurricananas and a baseball slide Tornado DDT off the apron. Great twist on what he normally does when he does the baseball slide. Theory came back with a spin-out Liger Bomb. Mysterio avoided A-Town down and hit 619, but Theory got double knees up when Ray followed with the splash. He lifted him into A-Town down, only for Mysterio to roll downward for the trap 1-2-3, and then LWO celebrated with Ray afterward. As I said, this picked up massively halfway through. It felt like watching a high-quality Raw main event with some inventive sequences down the stretch. It was great for me that Theory tried to win this clean and took Ray somewhat to the limit doing so. Mysterio getting the win was appropriate and necessary. You're not having a legend like Rey Mysterio drop the title after three weeks. A completely different match from Night and Miz but I thought it was similar in terms of quality. 3.5 stars and a B. Maybe that's a quarter star too high, but it's a B either way.
1: Yeah, this was fine. I, I, I'd say about a B. It wasn't bad. It was a good match for Theory, but he knew he wasn't going to win. Mm-hmm. So we just it just happened. Of all the things on this card, this was the one by far. I was just like, all right. It, it was by far the least interesting thing coming in, mm-hmm. and it is
0: going out. I mentioned a moment ago the Cinnamon Toast Crunch sponsorship. It's very clear now why this was on Payback and why Gunther Chad Gable was on Raw. This is the second time Ray has been in a Cinnamon Toast Crunch match on a WWE Premium Live event. So clearly they have some deal. He's obviously super popular, Ray is. So he's the sponsored guy that they want matches on Premium Live events. So it made sense. And maybe that's the purpose of this title change, too. To give him the title, get him on the show, promote the match, and they got their sponsorship in. And Gunther, meanwhile, hopefully gets I, I, a much longer match on Raw because this was the shortest match on the entire card.
1: Yeah, and that Gunther Gable match, as we said, should be the main event of Raw.
0: It so should be we'll
1: ideally. Also, also, since we're not going to get to it until Raw on Monday, uh, Honky Talk Man was apparently at Starcast or, uh, over the weekend and very popular. Get that man to Monday Night Raw, please. <laughs> He needs to be involved in his title reign, his record title reign, being broken. As far as the cinnamon toast crunch thing, um, I I like I mind this like zero percent. Yeah, I I'm don't so mind. So used to watching yeah. sports where there's a giant ad in the background that it kind of does nothing to me. If it's a Mountain Dew pitch black match, then that's obviously different. But uh, this, like the Mike's Hard Lemonade tag team match at WrestleMania 38, mm-hmm. like, like honestly, zero problem whatsoever. It has no impact on the match. Honestly, I watched it, and all I could think about was after Ray won, they should have had somebody dump a Gatorade jug of Cinnamon Toast Crunch on them or something <laughs> like that. I was like, I don't even know if Cinnamon Toast Crunch is getting their money's worth other than just True. having a couple of images up. Like, if you're going to do it, like, do it, so... Uh, But I I had like honestly zero problem with
0: this. That's true. LWO could have come out with just a bucket of Cinnamon Toast Crunch or boxes and just dumped it on Ray. I agree. I don't mind the sponsorships. I only mind when they interfere with the viewing of the match. I'm forgetting which one it was, but it was a women's match, maybe at SummerSlam, maybe at another show. It was recent, but like whatever the ad was, it was like purple and red and the lights were so distracting during the entirety, and the and the the boards, the barricade around the ring, the way it lit up was so distracting during the match that it bothered me. This wasn't, I mean, it certainly wasn't great to look at, but again, if it's one match a show and it's your quote unquote least important match, it's totally fine. Let's move to the big segment on WWE Payback that I'll spoil a little bit, a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be the Grayson Waller effect with Cody Rhodes. Now, this was the cool down before the co-main events. Cody got his grand entrance. Grayson cut off his intro. Rhodes gave Waller the entire Cena fine speech line, which I thought was really funny that he did that. And he talked about all the tropes of these talk show segments. That popped me and it popped the fans in the arena. Cody randomly gave Carmelo Hayes a shout out. I mean, I appreciate that, but it was random. Then he said SmackDown, has been intriguing him recently. So I don't know about you, Chris, but in this moment, I thought Cody was about to announce that he's switching brands.
1: I did too, because it was like, oh, Roman Reigns is not around. John Cena is back, maybe. But John Cena is going to be on SmackDown. So I don't know.
0: It was confusing to me. But anyway, Rhodes eventually came around and made his big announcement. And that was that he used whatever political sway he had backstage to get main event Jey Uso on the Raw roster, Jay immediately enters to a massive pop. I mean, on this show, you had Cody, L.A. Knight, and I I mean, Jay Uso may have been number three. And maybe he was number two. I mean, it was huge. And he also came out to a remixed version of his theme that was an absolute complete and total banger. It's almost the same, but some different lyrics. Man, that was awesome. So he comes out to that. Jay then nods to Cody out of respect for helping him. And he gets the crowd going, like waving his arms up and down and the crowd's doing it with him. So Rhodes exits, but he watches the rest of it from the stage. Waller calms down the crowd. He tears up Jay for achieving nothing on his own. Obviously, Jay super kicked his head off. And then he exited to another huge pop, with the arena completely rocking with him. And my Lord, was this outstanding. I mean, Jay's return after two weeks, three weeks, it felt like he had been gone for years. And I get to say, I believe I had that. This is exactly like the Rey Mysterio situation when he split with Dominic. Ray ended up going to SmackDown, or he was convinced by Triple H to go to SmackDown rather than retire and step away. And Jay, because of Cody Rhodes, was able to move over to Raw by himself. That is a tremendous decision. It also seemingly creates space where you know he's gonna go one-on-one with Jimmy. It kind of feels like they want to do that for WrestleMania. If you're going to do that, you can't have them on the same brand every single week for six months. It also allows the entire bloodline storyline to breathe to some degree. And you have Cody kind of dipping his toe back in the Samoan water four months before the Royal Rumble. This could even possibly lead to a Survivor Series match at some point, though that would require Jimmy back with the bloodline. And that's a topic we are definitely gonna have to discuss on Tuesday's show. Now, we wondered whether this Grayson Waller segment was worthy of being on payback. And you and I both pretty much unanimously agreed that, hey, Cody's on it, so maybe it'll deliver. I don't think either of us thought it was gonna deliver to this degree. They made this worthy of payback. And it was perfectly placed on the show to keep the fans rocking as they were pretty much all night in Pittsburgh. This was just an example of how everything on payback one way or another seemed to exceed expectations.
1: It was a lot of fun. The crowd reaction was great. I enjoyed it. I'm glad it was here, but I'm so conf- I was immediately confused. Why? Because the issue wasn't that Jay quit SmackDown. He said specifically, I quit SmackDown. And then he said, I quit WWE. Mm-hmm. So like, why is he back? And I'm sure we'll get his explanation on Monday. But like, I was expecting his eventual return to like, be something surprising. Like he inter- he pops up on Raw to save Cody or something like that and says, and, and and or something or Sammy Zayn, you know, like something in there. I was just like Cody just announces he's on Raw. I was like, he's on Raw. I, I didn't even know he's back in the company. Like you didn't even announce he was back with WWE. So I was just that part of it was just weird. And maybe I'm just overthinking it, but I because the whole thing with Jey Uso quitting, like to me it wasn't he he didn't just say I quit, and it could be ambiguous and cause I thought at the time we'd say, Hey, they'll break up and he'll go to raw. We thought that, but he specifically said, I quit WWE. And we thought, huh, that opens up all kinds of possibilities. Does he show up on the independence? Does he start doing other stuff? Like there was a lot they could do. And instead it's just Cody says he's on raw on the Grayson Waller effect. And I'm like, all right, cool. Glad Jay's back. But it just kind of felt like it, uh, that the last couple of weeks were kind of for nothing. It didn't, it didn't build to something that I thought was going to mean anything.
0: See, the reason I disagree is again, it was a direct parallel to what they did with Ray Mysterio. Ray's like, I quit. I'm not going to wait. Ray,
1: Ray didn't Ray, Ray didn't say I quit WWE. He
0: didn't say it in like the way Jay did, but he's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do. And then triple H brought him over to SmackDown and said, Hey, before, yeah. before you retire, before you quit on the company, let me give you an opportunity and put you on the show and have you away from Dominic. And then Ray says yes. And he's like, thank you for the second chance. It's the same idea here. Jay quit on air. It doesn't mean he, like, voided his contract and was out of the company. But he just said he quit. WWE... WWE put it up on like a chiron that he did. They said, Hey, he quit.
1: Yeah. This this was to me. That's not at all the same because it's not like somebody went, we didn't see anybody go to Jay and say, Hey Jay, maybe you shouldn't quit. Come back to the company. Why do we have to, but hold on. Why do
0: we have to see that? Cody explained he was watching SmackDown. He saw this interesting development. He used whatever sway he had to get Jay over, on Raw, whether that's resigning him, whether getting that's... him over
1: to Raw get, but getting him over to Raw is not my concern is not the question I had. The question is what convinced Jay to come back to WWE? I'll probably we'll explain it Monday explanation. We'll get an explanation yeah. on Monday, but I'm just like, I'm just saying like my reaction in the moment was, huh? Cause I thought it was going to be, he's back in WWE and he's on Raw, like as, as, like explaining the first one and then explaining the second one. We just got the second one and skipped over the first part and we're going to just get it retroactively on Monday.
0: I mean, sure, but they wanted to do a moment on the premium live event and then they explained it on TV. Are, aren't you interested in watching Raw on a Monday night to find out why Jey Uso is now on Raw and why he's back? That's the whole Damn, point. I said it was a good segment. I'm just I saying, I'm I'm saying that. I'm just, I'm just explaining I'm just that's saying, the whole point. I, <laughs> they want you to watch the show. I'm
1: just saying... I I'm just saying, I'm disappointed that we didn't get more out of Jay quits WWE. It felt like an opportunity to, to try some new things, okay, and gotcha. instead it meant nothing. So
0: uh, okay, again, I don't think it meant nothing, but I see what you're saying. You wish it was more of a moment, him coming back, and if he, yeah, if
1: he had just yeah. yeah, if he had just said I quit, and you do this whole thing, totally fine. Gotcha. But to specifically say I quit WWE was like. Like we just we we don't hear that, and so I thought there'd be something different with it. Okay, there wasn't.
0: Fair enough. It didn't hit your expectation on what you expected coming on the backside of it. I get it. That makes sense. All right. That is our full breakdown of WWE Payback, which means it is time for us to discuss our grades for the show. Of course, we always review our pre-show expectation grades. What we thought about Payback. Going into it, you and I were both in alignment as we almost always are going into the show. We were both at a B plus and our listeners are getting overheads on Twitter at getting overcast. They all voted before the show. These are the results. 11% said A, 75% said B, 11% C, 4% D or F. That averages out to an 86 out of 100, a B underneath are B plus. So expectations from the listeners lower than we had them, which is rare going into WWE payback coming out of payback. It is now time to discuss our final grades for the show. As always, Chris, we kick things off with you. We will then read the listeners grades. And of course, the Silver King will follow up at the end.
1: I I think we'll have different grades on this, just based on how we started the show.
0: I'm Um, very curious to find out.
1: I'm gonna go very high B plus.
0: Give me, like a, num- give me a number. Give me a
1: number. Eighty nine out of hundred. Okay. Because we like we got something that mattered. We got the title, the tag team title change. We got a terrific first match, with, opening match with Becky and Trish. And we got a good match with Seth and Shinsuke. And LA Night Miz was fun, but it never nothing on this show felt like it didn't feel big. And part of that might be because I'm also watching college football games at the same time, Mm -hmm. but coming like coming off of SummerSlam night of champions, money in the bank, like uh, the first half of the year, just every show felt big. This felt like, like a special edition episode of Monday Night Raw, almost. Uh, and, it, and it being a great episode of that. So
0: you thought, I mean, going I, I, in, the card kind of felt that way. But you felt the show yeah. was like that? Yeah, like, OK,
1: I don't know. It's just it, it, it felt like it was just missing, you know, to not have a to not have a Roman and to not have a Cody match was just like. Like, I know Cody is on the show and John Cena's is kind of goofing around on the show, but uh, it just it felt very like I don't mean it in a bad way. Just like felt I understand like a quintessential like, B plus really good B plus pay-per-view.
0: OK, that's your opinion. That's totally fair. These are the listener grades from our getting overheads. Sixty four percent a thirty two percent B four percent C and very rare. No troll votes. Zero percent D or F that averages out to a 92 out of 100, a solid, right in the middle, A minus. So that's their take. Uh, Let me go ahead and give my take. Here's the deal. Uh, There were two incredible matches on the show. The steel cage match with the women and the Steel City street fight, uh, of course, with Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, uh, Finn Balor, and Damian Priest. Beyond that, we had what I consider to be an extremely strong main event with Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura. Finish wasn't great, but nevertheless, a strong main event. And beyond those, we had Cody Rhodes bringing back Jay Uso in a story that can kick off again, that final chapter perhaps of the bloodline with Cody's involvement. We had John Cena, not just as host of the show, special guest referee, helping LA Knight get the loudest pop of his career, maybe other than the battle royal win at SummerSlam, but the number one or number two loudest pops of his entire career great segments ahead of time, solid match there as well. And I just felt that there was no part of the show where I felt it was a downer. I mean, the lowest point was Rey Mysterio and Austin Theory, a match that was still totally fine. And again, everything else that happened was something I was really either excited about or interested in seeing the direction WWE would go. So I am way more aligned with the listeners than I am with you, and I actually happen to believe that their grade is exactly correct. I wrote down 92 out of 100 an A minus, middle of the road, not close to an A, because an A premium live event is very difficult, and an A plus is almost impossible, but a middle of the road A minus, not borderline, it was an A minus show, there was a lot on this that just straight up exceeded my expectations, and again, even if you just go to how it started, Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus, not only was it well worth the wait, you can make an argument that, look, SummerSlam is important. Do not get me wrong. They were not getting 20 minutes plus all the extracurriculars on SummerSlam. And I don't think the booking for SummerSlam would have been a steel cage match, which is what Trish Stratus badly wanted. They were in a featured spot here. They got to do whatever the hell they wanted. And again, they delivered the single best match of Trish Stratus's career and one of the best matches of Becky Lynch's career as well. And one of the best American women's matches of the entire year. You could make an argument it was the number two women's match of the entire year behind only uh, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. And that's a very high bar to try and meet.
1: Oh, I think I, w- I would put this out. I would have put this one out of that. I think this is the best women's match of the
0: year. Wow. Okay. Very. So there you go. It's a top tier match in that regard. And maybe the best, you know, hardcore type of, you know, street fight match of the year. You can make an argument. So, I mean, I just thought it was an exceptional show. Uh, 92 out of hundred seems perfectly right to me. And again, I, I give that grade because I mean, literally last week, and we're not trying to compare, you know, Apples to oranges, to some degree, a stadium show with 81,000 people. But we're, last we're week, we to, we just happen. gave an A to All In. And, and sure, there were a lot of things on this that I actually liked more than a lot of things that were on All In. But you, the spectacle of that show and the way that you felt watching it and many of the high quality matches that were on it, that was just something different and special. And this didn't live up to that. So you can't really go higher. Uh, but again, I thought it was fantastic. And an A minus for me, Chris, is the right grade.
1: Yeah, and a, and after all out on Sunday, maybe we can kind of compare the three depending mm-hmm. on how we are on time because it's rare to have three. For it's it's basically unprecedented probably to have three major wrestling pay per views in the span of one week. For so sure, we uh we we can compare those after. But yeah, re- really good look like, really good show really enjoyed it. Um, I'm really glad we got a tag team title change like it opens up some things. Um, but yeah, just it, it, everything on it was good. It just it didn't have. Enough for me, you know, to not have a Roman match or a Cody match or a guther match, really, too. I think those three kind of three of the biggest things going on, uh, lacking, but I, I get how it goes. We'll see how things go on Monday. Please make that the main event of the show. And mm-hmm. yeah, good, good, good stuff.
0: Yeah, teach to, to their own. I think tomorrow night when we do our AEW all out instant analysis, if you remember for all in, we compared all in to SummerSlam, which I thought was appropriate. I mm-hmm. think when we talk about all out on Sunday, We just compare it to Payback. It's the same weekend, both of them, quote unquote, B-shows. And it's a much more apples to apples comparison is really what I'm trying to say. But just a reminder, because I just mentioned it, we will have an AEW All Out Instant Analysis podcast in this exact same spot as soon as All Out goes off the air, Sunday night here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. If you missed it, we have an AEW All Out Ultimate Preview in our podcast feed. Be sure to listen to that. And on that show, the Silver King spends a decent amount of time talking about CM Punk. We will discuss that on Sunday as well. Now that CM Punk has officially been terminated by AEW, that is a whole conversation that we obviously need to have. On the way out, let me just tell you what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast besides the AEW All Out Instant Analysis. We will be back next week with your WWE episode on Tuesday. We still have plenty to talk about from SmackDown and we will discuss the Raw after Payback. And then on Thursday, we will be talking AEW and NXT. So a lot still to come here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Let me also hit you with a few reminders on the way out. First, that this podcast is all about So please remember, now that the show is over, to visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. And also, you get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls around premium live events and pay-per-views. And now you see how we utilize those grades in the show. You also, on Twitter, at GettingOverCast, can send us DMs, tweets, questions, comments, and we will try to include those in our shows. Look for more of those on Tuesday and Thursday this coming week. Let me also remind you that here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well because for five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio. You will get news posts. And of course, you will support the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast financially. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the show. Thanks, of course, to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining your boy, Silver King. It is officially time for us to sign off and for me to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.